You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. All right. Well, it's been a weird morning in a lot of different ways. Uh, And one of the biggest reasons is because uh, since uh, Monday... Since I got a phone call on Monday, uh, I've been struggling about what to say to you guys today. Uh, and God's just kind of not letting me preach this sermon that I had prepared. Um, and so I'm going to just kind of see where this goes today. Uh, because I feel like you need to hear something that happened this week and just let God do with it what he wants to do with it. And if it's your first time, please come back. Um, last week we began a new series called Countercultural. And the whole premise of this series was, right, what do you do when, when culture shifts in an opposing direction to your faith? When you feel like to live out your calling, to live out your relationship with Jesus, to, to follow God, when, when culture seems to be going one way and to go with him means to go the opposite way, like how are you going to respond to that? How are you going to deal with that? And I told you last week, I know we feel like we're in a season as a culture where it seems to be shifting more than ever, but the reality is it's been shifting from the beginning. Amen? Culture has constantly been changing and evolving and working against uh, uh, the principles of God's word forever. So stop freaking out, believers, okay? Because um, that's just the way it is. And we talked about, and we looked at the story of Daniel, where we have this guy and these group of men who grew up in this little faith bubble. They were these Jewish guys who grew up in, in the southern kingdom of Israel in this place called Judah. And then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, modern-day Iraq, comes and, and, and just takes over their territory, takes these men, uproots them from everything they've ever known, and puts them in a completely different culture. A culture that doesn't think and believe and and follow the same principles that they do. And now they've got to figure out, all right, I'm in this new culture. How am I going to respond? What am I going to do in this this season? And sometimes we feel like that's us, right? That's where we say amen. Okay, I know you're frozen, but thaw out a little bit. Hug your neighbor. Get a little warm. Some of y'all looked at the one neighbor. You can tell which neighbor you're like, I would consider that, but I'm not going to. And we talked about, man, what's been happening in culture happening now has always been happening and we talked about we looked at that story and how one of the things that happens is your identity starts to become under attack and culture wants to give you a label but only God can give you an identity and when you tether your identity to this label when you define yourself by this label instead of who God has created you to be and who you are in Christ it's a dangerous slope and we talked about how we have to understand our convictions and and figure out what God's word says about these really hard subjects and things like that and 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 find our place rooted in those things and our courage to stand for the things of God is going to be difficult. And I really planned and wanted to go in to Dan- the Daniel again and, and preach this very specific message. And really up until I stood on the platform before first service, that's what I kind of planned to do. For a lot of different reasons. You just, sometimes you, there's things that happen and you don't, you don't know how to handle them. Uh, I know y'all are like, what's going on? I, I like it. Y'all kind of freaked out a little bit. It's okay. But one of the things I, I, I do want to read, go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. See, this is after 
Daniel, has, Daniel and his friends have refused to give in to the cultural temptations to compromise their beliefs. And they stayed strong to who God wanted them to be. And it said, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them to his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and an understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now when I read that, I'm reminded about something. In the culture that we leave, live in, we can see this as, as a time when, when people of faith are being oppressed, or we can see it as a time when people of faith have an opportunity. I've got to get more, more than one amen to that, right? It's a time when we see it as an opportunity. That the darker the world gets, the brighter our light can shine. That the more difficult things seem to become, it's not, it's not a season of oppression, it's a season of opportunity. That now more than ever, we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needs it so desperately. That we gotta stop panicking and freaking out and feeling like the world's coming to an end and everything's falling apart and seize this as an opportunity to seize for God's glory. And to be excited about this chance that we have to proclaim the good news of Jesus and point people to God because people are searching church. I think more than ever, that's the reason why we're running to all these different things. is because people realize that there's a God-shaped hole in every heart. And they're try to, tired of trying to fill it with the wrong things. And we get to offer them the gospel, which has the opportunity to fill it completely and wholly and make the difference that they need. But if you keep reading... Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this, they, they wouldn't just be tested that once. That if they were going to live according to God's plan in this culture, they were constantly going to have to be battling some struggles. And if you flip on over to, to chapter 3, look at chapter 3, verse 1. Because see, now here comes this moment when, when their worship is going to be challenged. When, when, when they're going to have to make a decision, are they going to worship God or are they going to worship something less than? Are they, are they going to keep their eyes focused on the creator or are they going to let themselves to be consumed by the created? Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made the image of gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whatever does, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So now here we are at another crossroads for these men of God. The king has decided we're going to create this idol to worship. You ever notice culture is constantly creating new idols. There's always going to be a new idol that wants to be in competition with God for your worship. 
they're, they're ever changing and ever evolving. And here comes a moment where the king creates this idol. And these guys are may have to make this choice. All right, are we going to follow the way of the culture? Are we going to follow the decree of the king and bow down and worship this thing? Or are we going to stand true to our God? They stand at a crossroads. I feel like we find ourselves in those crossroads about every day. Like every day there's something competing in your heart for God's rightful place. There's something competing for your worship. And this is not just about a, an earthly king. This is about a supernatural thing that's happening here. That something is competing for their worship. And they've got to decide, are we going to bow down or are we not? And they make the decision, we will not do it. We will not do it. Because only one God, the God, is worthy of our worship. Nothing else is worthy. Nothing else compares. Nothing else comes close. And of course, when you make a bold statement for your faith, it will not go unnoticed. Do you hear me, church? You can't quietly stand for God. Not anymore. You understand that? You live in a culture that like it's going to be noticed when you stand for the Lord, when you stand for what God has called you to. And that's exactly what happens. Flipped on down to chapter, uh, I mean, chapter 3, verse 12. It said, but there were some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So there's some guys that notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ain't quite going with the flow. They're not following the crowd. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so you got some little tattletales. They go around and say, hey, king, like everybody's doing this, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they think they're too good. They holy rollers. They Bible thumpers. Like they're not doing it. And so, verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Mad Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So the king hears about this disobedience. And you, I just noticed this today, this week. Notice what King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't seem to be necessarily angry because they've defied him. His rage seems to be because they refuse to worship what he worships. That is culture. You must worship what I worship. And if you don't worship what I worship, there's something wrong with you. And you, let me tell you something. You can tell what co a culture worships by what causes it to outrage. Let me say that again. You want to know what culture worships? You want to know what a group of people worships? See what causes it to outrage. And when he feels like they're not worshiping his God, it creates outrage. And he says, you're going to do this. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Like, I've got this plan. I'm going to barbecue you. Like that, it's, it's either worship or barbecue. Which, what, what you going to do? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love that. Like, we got to defend ourselves. 
dab on something, I don't know. That's basically what they're doing right there. Verse 17. If we, throw, if we are thrown into the blazing fur, furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Like, we're not going to do this. The God we serve, he can. He is able. But I love what they say next. Verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's awesome, isn't it? It's like, we know what God can. We don't know if he will, but we know he can. And our belief in the fact that he can is enough that we ain't going to. It ain't happening. Well, our boy Neb is furious. And he has this furnace not only prepared, but hotter than it has ever been before. So hot that like people even get near it and they die. He, he increases the temperature of this fiery furnace. And then he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of this blaze. These men were willing to die. They would rather die than compromise. They were willing to stay true to their God. And they said, we know what God can do. We don't know what God will do, but we know what God can do. And our belief in what he can do is enough for us to trust him more than to trust you, bud. And they get thrown in the fiery furnace. But then look what happens. You've probably heard this story. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four. I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. Then they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. You know, after you grill some burgers, you carry that smell for like three days. <laughs> you can't get it out yet. They come out of that, and they don't even have a suntan. Their skin's not burned. Their hair's not singed. Not even their clothing has been impacted. They don't even smell like smoke. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree that the, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, if you don't think that's a cool story, you're weird. But here's what I think we know. Like, 
no wonder these guys didn't go with culture. Man, if I experienced a miracle like that, what I go through in culture, it wouldn't faze me either. If you can go through the fire and come out unharmed, then culture would, it would never have an impact on me again. But Matt, that's not my story. I mean, it's awesome. Man, if I, if, if I was convinced and if I knew and if I felt like I served that big, that great, that powerful a God that did miracles like that, then you know what? I would stand like that as well. But you feel like you live in the real world. And somewhere along the way, your belief in the big, powerful, miracle-working God has been chipped away and chipped away and chipped away and chipped away with every heartbreak and with every disappointment and with every unanswered prayer and in every th- that, that childlike faith that maybe you began as you believed has become a cynical adult faith. And it seems like a little bit harder to go against the grain. Well, let me tell you a story that might change that. And let me just go ahead and say that you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with this story. You're going to have to decide if you're cynical and not going to believe it. You're going to have to decide if it pushes your faith forward or frustrates you. Or I, don't, I don't know how you're going to deal with the story, but uh, Natalie Grady is a part of our church. She's been a part of our church family for a while now. She was introduced to our church because of my life. She taught, she teaches with my wife, and, and they actually went through a master's together, and they began to build a relationship, and they used to take over my house and do these projects all day long, and I couldn't even do anything. I had to go outside and be quiet because they were working on things, um, but they just began to build a relationship, and while they were going through their master's together, Natalie got diagnosed with breast cancer, and so while she was working through that master's, she had to, to, to battle breast cancer and go through that whole ordeal. Natalie's from, originally from Ohio, She's not like some of us. Some of us are, are born in the South. The rest of us get here as quick as we possibly can. <laughs> and so she didn't have family around here. She didn't really have anybody. And there were some people in that master's class and some people that just rallied around her and supported her and led to a relationship between she and my wife, Ashley. And it began to move forward. And she became part of our family and built a relationship with, with me and my family and actually taught my kids last year and started coming to church here. And I, th- I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she didn't really come to church here necessarily because her faith in God was that strong. This was what she's been through and some things that she's experienced in her life. Her faith in God was kind of hanging on by a thread, and she didn't show up here necessarily because she was excited ab- about who God is, but she can't show up at church here because you loved her well. You loved her well. Church, that deserves an amen somewhere along the way. Come on. Because you've been at churches where you weren't loved well. And she, she, she loves your children. She spends every Sunday morning during the 9 o'clock service holding your snotty little kids in the nursery and loves it. Well, this summer, her cancer came back in the form of uterine cancer. And she had to make some decisions. Uh, she went through a sequence of radiation, hoping that maybe that would stall it, stage it off, get rid of it. And it didn't work. And so she knew something was going on in her body. She knew things weren't going, going right. And so she had been following up with doctors, different physicians and things like that. And had been experiencing quite a bit of pain. And was convinced that the cancer was not only coming back, that maybe coming back a little bit more intense than, than before. Um, and had some other physical issues throughout the year. 
she had uh, found out that it was pretty severe uterine cancer and had surgery scheduled for tomorrow. That way she could go in and basically they were going to do full hysterectomy, basically to remove all the cancer, get everything out of her body and hopefully put the cancer in behind her and then go through several months of chemotherapy. She actually cut her hair short recently because kind of preparing herself for the fact that she would lose all her hair um, as she went through chemo treatments over the next several months. So we've just been kind of walking through her, with her through this. Not only to my family, but our church and several ladies in the church and some people that have built relationships with her and come alongside her. And as it progressed, I think we all began to think this is going to be really bad. That probably this is not going to end well. She started having severe pain pretty much on a constant basis. Some other issues that may be pointed to it could be getting into her bladder. And so she had scheduled surgery for Monday. Last Sunday she showed up here and she was in a, re- a lot of pain and you could just tell and, and it was having its toll on her. And some, some ladies from our church just gathered around her, pulled her aside into a room and, and just prayed over her and just prayed that God would touch her body and just kind of give her some peace. And to be honest with you, I had just been praying, God, hope, I hope this surgery goes well and it's able to put cancer in her rearview mirror. All along, I'll be honest with you, I was believing they're going to open her up and close her right back. And it was going to be pretty bad. Last Monday, she went for some pre-op scans. And we all knew she was going for those pre-op scans, and, and, and we thought maybe those things would even reveal some stuff that we'd have to figure out what her plan would be. So last Monday afternoon, I'm uh, driving home from the office, and my phone rings. And it says, Natalie Grady. And I haven't told her this, but I, I really didn't want to pick it up. I really didn't know what she was going to have to say. Because uh, I knew she had that appointment that day. So I answered the phone. She says, you got a minute? I said, sure, absolutely. What's going on? And her next words to me were, it's gone. What's gone? It's gone. Now I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have faith. I said, what are you talking about? She said, it's gone. And now y'all know me. I'm a preacher. I, don't, I am never at a loss for words. But I had no idea what to say. I had no idea what to think. All kinds of emotions rushed over my body. I said, what do you mean it's gone? She said, it's, it's gone. She said, they ran my blood work several times because they ran my scans and it came back clear and the doctor was certain like we had the wrong person's scans. And they apparently ran it three times, let five different specialists look at it. So she's not having surgery tomorrow. What God can do and what God will do, I'll never be able to understand. But I'm reminded that He can. He can. If so, if you need something to drive you out from the shadows of faith into living more boldly for it, can I just say he can? He can. Now let me just go ahead and tell you, that may never be your story. There are people in this room, more than likely, 
something may happen to you that you have to deal with and may end near death. Because see, on Friday, I had the first funeral in the history of our church. I've done funerals for other people in our church, people who were family members of people that attend here, but for the first time ever, a member of our own family, our church family, who sits right down here, the first service, every Sunday for the last year and a half. Her name is Lori Moore. She lost her battle with sickness. She had a lung disorder that last Saturday took her life. And on Friday, I had to stand in front of her husband and her kids and preach her memorial service. And so I'm looking that in, in, in the light of those two things. And you know what God told me? That in Christ, we are always healed. That Natalie experienced healing in one way and Lori in another. That in Christ, you are always healed. For us in Christ, when we die, we're healed eternally. Never to have sickness or pain again. So I don't know what it is that you need right now to push you out of the shadows of your faith and start living more boldly than ever before. But maybe it's in realizing and walking in and knowing and trusting that he can. I don't know if he will. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't know if he would, but they didn't let whether he would or would not stop them from believing in what he can do. And see, so many of us, we get bogged down by what he's done or what he want him, we want him to do and forget what he can do. And it's time we start living like he can and have enough faith to live like he can even when he doesn't and be bold. There it is. I don't even know what to do now. except just worship. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to worship. Not in light of what he hasn't done. Not in necessarily even hopes of what he will do. But in the reality of what he can do. You hear me, church? In the light of what he can do. That's how I want to invite you to worship this morning. To worship in light of what he can do. And I know there are people in this room right now, that story, some of you are just cynical. It's like, something's wrong, there's a mix-up, something's weird, this is whatever preacher. And there's some people thinking, well, that's not fair. That's not fair, because I've been praying really, really hard and for a really, really long time. But can we just worship him like he can today? And whatever that means for you. Let me say, in light of all that, there's no way you can just stand here like this. Something needs to happen in you today. Maybe you need to come. You notice after first service, they put boxes of tissues around the platform for a reason. For you to come, pour your heart out to God, or stand there and worship Him, but we're going to unleash praise and worship and gratitude and, and belief and faith in this room, maybe like we've never unleashed it before. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me and I'm going to pray and we're going to worship the, lo the Lord. We're going to worship God as if we believe without a shadow of a doubt that he can.
can. Say it, church. He can. What? Say it again. Father God, I pray that right now that your spirit would move in this room, that you would fall in this place, that we would be more open to experiencing the power of your presence than we ever have. God, I don't know what you're doing with what's just been said in the hearts and minds of these people, but you're doing something. And God, I pray that we would be open to you, to hear from you, to respond to you, to worship you, to call you down like never before, God. God, we never walk through a fire alone. No matter what we're walking through, no matter what individual person in this room feels like they are dealing with alone, they're not alone. God, that, we, that as somebody else is peering into that fire, there's not a single person. There's multiple people. There's the family of God, the presence of God, the reality of God that follows us into every storm we experience in life, God. And God, we don't know what we, you will do, but we proclaim today we know what we can do, so we will respond with faith and obedience to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.